Welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast, and thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be joined again by Dr. Clayton Cole from the Mayo Clinic. And during this visit on the podcast, Dr. Cole will be discussing the latest advances in the treatment of diabetes. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now let's hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Clayton Cole from the Mayo Clinic. It is now time to officially welcome our good friend, Dr. Clayton Cole. Dr. Clay, good morning. Good morning, Professor Nemo. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll put our heads together and see if we can make some sense out of diabetes, which is really troubling because it just doesn't have to be. Yeah, over the years, that's always been one of those things that a lot of drivers end up putting their head in the sand over, or at least having a lot of just fear of the unknown. Now, in some cases, that was justified because... To try to still drive on, for example, using insulin with diabetes is like trying to get into Fort Knox. Now, based on data and based on the agency, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, doing a deeper dive and because of the improvements in medical treatments for diabetes, the process is so much smoother now. My own father died back in the early 50s when I was five years old, and they tell me that he really couldn't keep a job. He died at 30 years old, but he really couldn't keep a job because of the diabetes. And one of the things was the stereotyping of that shot. If somebody saw a diabetic taking a shot of insulin, it's like they were tantamount to drug addicts. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a lot more drugs that are injectables now, so I think some of those stereotypes have gone away. And what's more, in the world of diabetes, there are much better ways to monitor blood sugar levels through little devices called continuous glucose monitoring devices. So rather than having the roller coaster ride of sugars going high and low throughout the day, now sugars can be maintained at a much more general pace through the day. And it just allows people not only to feel better, but not to develop as many of the downstream side effects that diabetes can cause. It really can affect every organ. When I was in college back in the late 60s, one of our friends had one of those little things about the size of a pager. So they go back pretty far, farther than a lot of folks might think. Yeah, and now as technology has improved, use of insulin pumps has Mm -hmm. also improved. So that is another factor that allowed drivers and other people in safety-sensitive occupations to stay at their jobs. When we talk about diabetes in any way, shape, or form, we pretty much just zero right in on type 2, and it's all about type 2, and what do we do, and what are you doing wrong? But type 1 is still out there, and you can drive with type 1 with the waivers and all. But one of the things that I think is really something is like the $30, $35 cap now on insulin. Have you already been seeing a response to that from patients? Well, in terms of insulin itself, yeah, and then there's different forms of insulin as well. I do think that making those caps and keeping it cost-effective for folks in terms of -of out-of-pocket cost is really part of the solution, and that's been a favorable factor. I also think that there's been a lot more emphasis placed on lifestyle 
changes. Even within the trucking industry, especially long haul, it's really difficult because it can be such a sedentary role. But even getting outside the truck, moving around, trying to pace oneself during the day to get some movement in, to get some exercise in, those are all things that have been really important in terms of minimizing the amount of insulin that's used. Yes, you can do a little bit here, a little bit there. In other words, you're supposed to do like 30-minute walk a day or something like that. That's me. I have to do that. But even if you do 10 minutes here, 5 minutes there, 20 minutes here, you can do it like that. That's not ideal, but you're still filling that bucket. If you go to the hose and fill it all at once, great. But if you got to go back to the hose three or four times, you still got a full bucket at the end of the day. Is that valid or am I sugarcoating that? No, and I think anytime you can get movement into your day, it's uh, important. And people sometimes ask, hey, Doc, how hard should I be working out? And I go, well, if you can say the Pledge of Allegiance while you're supposedly working out, it's probably not hard enough. But if they can target a three-word sentence... That's a dynamic, it's a moving process. So as you get into better and better shape, keeping at a three-word sentence, it gets a little harder to get to that. Now, on the flip side, you don't want to be getting to a one-word sentence and staying there because you're basically doing more anaerobic exercise at that time, which isn't really helping cardiovascular fitness. Now, not to say that if you're actually doing a workout and you get to a point where you're kind of at the maximum point of the workout, it's only a one-word sentence. That's fine. But in terms of your general, the main part of your workout, if you can shoot for about a three-word sentence, then that's kind of that sweet spot of where you want to be in terms of overall activity to maximize cardiovascular fitness. It's interesting you say that because I use a three-word sentence all the time when I'm working out. Help me, please. Join the club for everyone out there trying to stay with it in terms of exercise. Now, let's kind of switch over to type 2. We always talk about connect the dots. Well, you got to connect the dots now, and then you look at it, and it's like this Gordian knot in 3D. But is it too simplistic to say that there are only two dots, and you just connect them? Being overweight and not doing anything about it is like at the crux of all type 2 diabetes. I know that's an overstatement, but how far over the line am I? Well, I mean, certainly individuals that have an elevated body mass index or are considered overweight are more likely to develop type 2 diabetes. There are little cells in the pancreas called islet cells that generate your natural insulin. And the idea is that in type 2 diabetes, the cells that absorb insulin don't either recognize it or absorb it quite as well as someone that doesn't have diabetes. Obviously, that results in blood sugars remaining higher during the day. And with higher blood sugar levels, it can cause all kinds of downstream effects that affect the blood vessels. And since we're in a series of organs that all rely on blood vessels to get blood to where it needs to go, everywhere from your eyeball to your big toe, that can have significant effects. So it can affect the back of your eye and cause a retinopathy. It can affect the small blood vessels in your kidneys. And you can get what's called a nephropathy where the kidneys don't work right. It can involve the nerves and develop a neuropathy, so numbness and tingling in the lower extremities and the like. And so that's why the FMCSA takes that into account when they advise medical examiners how long to issue a medical certificate or to issue a medical certificate at all for a driver. 
I think the agency has recognized that there's a lot of people with diabetes, but there's a lot of people with diabetes that have it pretty dialed. It's pretty well controlled. They've got the condition, but they either are taking oral medication or injectable medications to help monitor and to keep it at bay. With that, I mean, I think it's important to point out that although the whole concept of diabetes and being a driver has really gotten a black eye over the years, a lot of drivers sort of not declare that they even have it or worse yet, not even go in to get it evaluated because they're worried they might have that diagnosis on their medical history. Hopefully, with some of the changes that have been made, drivers are actually getting the care that they need to go out and get their diabetes taken care of. There are no, for example, disqualifying medications that would preclude a driver from being able to hold a medical certificate. It does sometimes take a little bit more documentation, but certainly it's not like it used to be where to get a medical waiver, quote-unquote, if you have insulin, It used to have to go all the way up the flagpole, including publishing your name in the federal code of federal register. No longer exists. That changed in 2018 with the form MCSA 5870. And that's the form that a doctor can fill out and you can get your medical by bringing that to your examiner. You're listening to the Highway Health Podcast on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. If you would like to stay up to date on what's happening with Radio Nemo, please visit RadioNemo.com. You'll see the latest on the Dave Nemo Show, Dave Nemo Weekends, and the Tim Ridley Show. RadioNemo.com also has a blog section with news and notes from around the trucking industry. That web address is again RadioNemo.com. Now, folks, if you'd like to go further down the highway to health, we'd like to invite you to listen to The Dave Nemo Show on Sirius XM's Road Dog Trucking Radio Channel 146. The trip down the highway to health on The Dave Nemo Show happens every Tuesday morning from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Now let's get you back to this edition of The Highway to Health Podcast on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Diabetes is among the top five health-related risk factors for tuberculosis. Boy, you don't necessarily connect those dots. Diabetes is the leading cause of blindness in people ages 40 to 74, right in our wheelhouse here on Road Dog. And even depression is twice as common in people living with diabetes than those without diabetes. Maybe it's all the talk about diabetes that depresses those folks, you think, Dr. Cole? I don't know about that, but certainly, as we mentioned before, it affects all the organ systems in one way or another, and it affects the immune system as well. So that is one reason why you can be more susceptible to various infectious diseases, as you mentioned, tuberculosis. But oftentimes, there's a big question out there from drivers as to how the heck do things work with the paperwork now? What do I need to do if I'm a diabetic? And I think it's important to point out that really just besides the lifestyle things we talked about and being compliant with prescribed medications, I mean, the first thing is to go in and get evaluated if you think you might have diabetes, either with your primary care team and certainly if it's something that you're going to need medication. If you have access to a specialist like a diabetologist, which is an endocrinology person that really specializes in diabetes, that's ideal. 
at least even to get you on a trajectory to being on the right medications. In terms of the paperwork side of things, the main thing to remember as a driver is it's really about monitoring your blood sugars and obtaining what's called a hemoglobin A1C or glycosylated hemoglobin. And so hemoglobin is the red pigment in our blood that carries oxygen. And this A1C measurement is a way to look at the amount of hemoglobin that has sugar that's glommed onto it. We use some general cutoffs. If you're 5.7% of that type of hemoglobin in the body, that's considered basically normal in the normal range. Up to about 6.5% is considered quote-unquote pre-diabetes, and above 6.5% is in the range of diabetes. Now, you can have diabetes and still be a driver. You can still have diabetes and be on insulin and be a driver. And as I mentioned before, it used to be a very convoluted and heavy lift process to get through. That has completely changed after 2000. 18 with this form I was explaining that needs to be filled out by your treating doctor. But basically, the only commitment on your part as a driver is to be compliant with the meds and to have your hemoglobin A1C checked about four times a year at a minimum. And the reason it's four times a year is because it kind of gives you an idea of where your blood sugar has been over the prior three months. So it's not as big a lift. You do have to run some paperwork around, but beyond that, you can walk out of an office with a one-year certificate every year. I have a ton of drivers that I see as an examiner who have diabetes, and a portion of those have insulin-dependent diabetes, and I just look at that Form 5870. If everything looks good on that, they walk out of there with their certificate. There's no delays. So they walk out with the certificate for a year, which is great. But at the same time, they do their quarterly A1C checks. So that pretty much battens down a lot of hatches. It does. And I mean, if they can be in a reasonable range at that point and work with especially their primary care provider team to tweak the medicines as they need it. I mean, a lot of times I've had drivers that they have that moment where they realize the light bulb goes off and they go, you know what, I need to make some changes in my life, how I'm eating on the road, the amount of movement and exercise I'm getting. And I've had drivers lose 15, 20 pounds, eat better on the road, and really make some lifestyle changes that has completely altered the level of their diabetes in terms of much better control. And it really becomes kind of just part of their daily life as opposed to something that they just have to get ready for before their medical is due. I'm looking at mayoclinic.org, and I'm looking at symptoms of type 1 and type 2 diabetes, which are pretty much the same symptoms, I think. If you are just running high and mighty, you got a two-year card, so it might be two years before you see a doctor again to have blood work. If you have something, it'll be discovered. So feeling more thirsty than usual, but at the same time urinating more often, feeling tired and weak, having blurry vision. There's a pretty good checklist of things to watch out for your Self, but losing weight without trying or losing weight suddenly, that doesn't really connect so much. What causes that? So if your blood sugars are getting so high and because insulin is not being recognized by those cells in the body that we talked about, you can actually break muscle cells, muscle tissue down in the body and develop what's called ketoacidosis. It's a fancy schmancy term for actually breaking muscle down in the body. And so even though you 
might be eating, maybe not all the right things, your body is sort of, for lack of a better term, eating itself. So you can actually lose weight and feel very ill. And in those cases, if you develop an acidosis of the blood, that's something where you're not just going to be thinking about diabetes. You need to go to an emergency room at that point. So I think that's what that's trying to bring out in that website. Okay, urinating more often on its own or having slow healing sores no, on I its think... own? Do you want two or three of these things going at once? Yeah, and people know themselves pretty well. I think sometimes you just have to have that cold look in the mirror sometimes and be honest with yourself about, hey, if I'm not really feeling well, it's time to go in and get evaluated. The thing about diabetes, it's very easy to do some of the initial testing, the blood work, doing a urinalysis. I mean, those are easy things that you can pick up diabetes very quickly in terms of if it's there. You mentioned going in every year for the medical in, I say, a two-year time frame, and that's when the urine dip stick is done, but that's really going to only pick up the more severe cases of diabetes. I mean, if you're having sugar leaking through your kidneys into your bladder, things are, are moving down the pathway at that point, and you, you really need to get uh, treatment then. But the idea is to catch it prior to that. Take a bit of a preventive approach and actually go in and get a preventive exam. That's really important as a driver. There's a lot of sedentary parts to it, even though it's a little bit like a football play. There's a lot of action, and then there's a lot of standing around. That closes out this edition of the Highway Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health podcast through Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo.